thank you, worship team. Always good to sing some Christmas carols. Uh, Tis the season. And uh, speaking of Christmas, I have a couple quick announcements before we jump uh, into the word. And so uh, last week we advertised our outdoor Christmas services on the 21st and 22nd of uh, of this month. And they filled up right away. And so we have opened one more service. It's about, uh, there's probably by the time of the, the airing of this video, um, or the recording of it anyway, there's about 40 seats left. So you want to get in there and get them uh, quickly. You can do that on our website. It's the simplest spot. Chris made it super easy. Go to the webpage, click on the link, and it will uh, walk you through that. Uh, so a couple uh, couple quick thoughts for that. You do need to sign up in order to come. Uh, it will be in a forest somewhere near Nanticoke. We will send you the exact address via email uh, before that happens. So keep checking. You can check the website for some of those details as well. Uh, but we would love to see you there. It's Christmas under the stars, just like the very first uh, the very first Christmas. And we're going to gather together to just worship him with Christmas carols, uh, enjoy some time together, lots of good snacks and goodies. And so looking forward to that. Also, just want to thank you for your generosity as a church as we've been able to be a blessing to many of the people in our in our Balmoral community, in our church community uh, at Sprucedale, and then also through the Jarvis Caring Cupboard and uh, the uh, food bank in Cayuga. They may not know it yet, but uh, you guys have sent them each $5,000 over and above all of the gifts and bags of stuff uh, to, to each of them. So thank you for your generosity. Uh, truly, I always say it's a blessing for me to be a part of a, uh, of a family like this. Uh, and so uh, truly appreciate it. And then for some of you who have just even been generous to me, uh, I'm just grateful for that. Uh, maybe you're out there thinking, what can we get the pastor? You know, I, I got it. I know I'm going to get him a mug that says Pastor Punk on it. Well, you're too late. Someone has already done that. So just want to say a huge thanks for my new favorite mug. Just call me Pastor Punk, y'all. And uh, this will maybe be in a store. Well, not this one, but maybe copies of it will be in a store somewhere near you at some point. But thank you. You know who you are, who got this for me. And it is my new favorite mug. So that is it for announcements. Let's jump right into the into his words. So if you have your Bibles, grab them. We're going to be spending quite a bit of time in Scripture uh, today, and I would encourage you to do that. Last week, we talked about the light of the world coming to this world, and then commissioning his followers, his disciples, to be the lights that shine for the world, to see him. And uh, if you didn't hear last week's message, I'd encourage you to go and listen to it. Uh, today, uh, today as I was, you know, even just prepping for this message over this past couple of weeks, this is one of those ones that really kind of hit me in the heart as a, as, a, as a reminder, but just even as something that's stirred up um, in, in me. And, and my prayer, my prayer is that it continues to stir up in me. And my prayer is that it would stir up something in you uh, as well. And so uh, we're going to start just by reading the account uh, of the Christmas story of the birth of Jesus. Uh, was told in, in scripture by Matthew and by Luke. And so let's just go to Matthew chapter two and let's just, we'll jump in right there. Matthew chapter two, verse one, simply says this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from Eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem and they were asking, verse two, where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod in verse 3 was deeply disturbed by this. Uh, when he heard it, sorry, as was everyone else in Jerusalem. You see uh, this, um, uh, this account that, you know, we've heard probably hundreds of times uh, through the many Christmases that we've experienced in our lifetime. 
And it's not a, um, it's, it, it's, it's a famous story. It's one we, we know well. But I wonder sometimes, and as I was preparing for this, I wondered if we sometimes lose some of the significance of these words simply because of the time and, and the place that we live. For instance, when you hear about the word king, when's the last time you've really thought of the, what the word king means? Maybe if you're a card player, like, yeah, that's a good card to have in, uh, in your hand if you, you know, when you're playing. It's one of the high cards. But you know, when we think of the word king, we don't have a king in Canada. Uh, I, I would challenge you. Could, is, uh, maybe the, uh, take this little test. Can you name a modern day king? Like, well, I know the queen of England, but what about a king? You'd have to check out Europe or uh, you know, Asia where you may find a few uh, kings that are still that still have the title of king. You know, if you're Dutch, maybe you know of King Willem Alexander, but we don't really think much about kings and queens. And when we do, we don't actually think of them as like these tyrants or these these all-powerful, almighty rulers. You know, if you watch The Crown uh, on Netflix, you just see the life of the, the monarchy in England. And, and a lot of it is just this family having to live and follow these certain things to, to maintain the idea of what a monarchy looked like. But, but not necessarily having that, that day-to-day, all-out power uh, that, that, that a king would have had. But that's because that's new that's actually a new um, thought for us, relatively speaking, is these kings that are just sort of there for the photos. Because for thousands of years, including at the time of uh, Jesus when he was born, the word king meant a whole lot more. You know, we know from scripture that in, in uh, 1 Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, you can look it up, the children of Israel have been asking for a king and Samuel warns them and says, you do not want a king. Yes, we do. We want a king like every other nation has a king. And he's like, you have no idea what you're asking. That king is going to take your sons to be, his, um, to be in his army. He's going to take your daughters to be his cooks. He's going to take, you know, he's going to tax you like crazy. He's going to take a tenth of all of your best, your best animals. He's taking them. And, uh, he says, you're going to beg for mercy to be, uh, to, to be out from under that king because you will feel like and you will be slaves. You will be as slaves is what it says. You know why? Because when there was a king back in the day, there was only one king and that king had all authority. And what he said goes. It was literally what the king said. It was like it was do or die. If he says it, you do it or you die. We see in the account of Esther a little later on in scripture that Esther said to, to Mordecai, her cousin, like, if I even go into the presence of the king, and Esther's the queen. I mean, she is like the, the, the next highest ranking person in a, in a, in a whole nation. She's, but she says, if I go into the king's presence without being invited, I could lose my head. She understood the, the absolute power and authority that the king had. And as a result, there was this incredible respect. There was this incredible reverence for the king. And so here... As we read in Matthew chapter 2, it says, the question is, where's this newborn king of the Jews? And there was two responses to that. The, the wise men came saying, we're looking for him because we want to worship him. And then we also see Herod's response, which I want to take a little deeper look at. King Herod, it says, was deeply disturbed. Why? Because he knew if there's a new king, that means that the old king is going to die. Has to. There can't be two kings. He understood that well. You know, I think if Herod's probably sitting on his throne and everything's fine, these guys show up. He probably thought everything in my life was fine until you showed up. And it wasn't the wise men that he meant. It was that thought of everything was fine in my life until Jesus showed up. Until this new king showed up. And and then he decided that he would go to great lengths. Great lengths to hold on to his power. To his authority as the king. And what did that involve? 
It involved brutal actions where he, he first tries to um, trick the wise men into giving up the location of this king so he might go and worship him as well. We know from scripture that his intent was to go and kill uh, the, the baby once they found him. But the, it's, you know, the, the wise men were warned in a dream. They left. They didn't tell King Herod. So what does he do? He just decides we'll kill all the children in that, all the baby boys in that area in Bethlehem who are two years old and, and younger. Based on the time that they'd seen the star, he figured somewhere in there that should cover it. We'll get him. That new king will be gone. You know, he's a bloodthirsty guy. Later on, if you read in history about Herod, he was so, uh, <laughs> he so badly wanted to hold on to his own authority and power that he actually uh, had some of his sons executed for fear that they would take his throne. And when their mom, well, you know, had stepped kind of in, her name was Miriam. Uh, he had 10 wives, but she was the one who was stepping in to see that they would become the kings. He had her executed as well. He was a bloody, bloody king. And what, what's, what's the motivation behind that? I'm the king and I'm gonna stay the king and I will do whatever it takes to stay king of my throne. I'm willing to do anything to resist any other king. I'm willing to do anything to resist any other king. You know, and then we see the opposite or a different response from the wise men. Wise men, for some, they, they're also referred to as magi. Uh, basically, they're royal astrologers. They're, they're in the king's court, but their job is to search the, to, to search the stars for messages that may, that may come through. And, and obviously, they knew, what they, <laughs> they knew how to interpret the stars because they realized there was a king, a new king born in Bethlehem. And they, part of their response to the fact that there was a new king in town was the fact that they traveled great distance to find him. They, 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 they sacrificed time, money, effort to go and find this new king. And their intention was that they would come truly to worship him. You know, the word king, we don't really use it. We kind of lose that thought that this king is this like this absolute, all-powerful, all-authoritative figure. But I think we miss something in this terminology as well is that, that word worship. They came to worship him. And, you know, we have, these, we have these connotations in our mind that are stirred up when we hear the word worship. Like, what did you picture when you hear the word worship? Maybe you thought it was like, oh, it's what we just did before this part of the video. You know, we sang some songs. And yet I wonder, can you picture the moment that these group of men arrive at, at Jesus' home? He's a, he's a toddler, young child at that point. And they arrive there and they, they, they come in and it says they worship him. What did that look like? Maybe he's like, all of a sudden you picture, they come in, they're like, hey, fellas, we found him. All right, let's sing that chorus three more times. And you got one of them at the back. It's like, we're not singing those choruses. Let's sing a hymn to worship him. And maybe the other person's like, well, I think we should raise our hands, close our eyes and feel the presence of the baby. <laughs> Whatever it is, we have these thoughts about worship. Matthew actually gives us some really descriptive words of what actually happened that night when they arrived. Matthew chapter two, verse 10. He says this, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. The star had, had arrived over the location where Jesus was. And it says they entered the house, you know, not in the stable anymore. And they saw the child. He's not a baby anymore, but they saw the child with his mother, Mary. And what does it say? They bowed down and they worshiped him. And then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That word bowed down, um, that, that word's actually just simply translated bow down. 
like fall down. Uh, so it's, it's used in, the, in the other parts of scripture when, you know, when they built the house on the sand and they built the house on the rock, it's when the storm came and took out the house on the sand, it fell down, it crumpled into a, a mess. That's this word. They fell down uh, before him. And the word worship is actually this word called proskuneu. Proskuneu is this idea uh, of falling to the knees and, and kissing the hand, or, you know, you kiss the ring of the king. That's that thought, or actually putting your forehead to the ground. That, that's what happened, right? I'm just like, can you picture that? Here these grown men arrive at this place where there's this, this child. And you know, maybe on the weekend, I'll, I'll ask for volunteers to come up and do this. But can you picture like, like real, like manly men, you know, like, you know, Bob DeVries or uh, Charlie or, or Brian Bunting or whoever coming in and seeing this young toddler and then getting down on their knees and putting the faces on the ground before. Man, I don't even know if I could get anyone to do that in this day and age. Like, it, what, a, what a, um, a, a hit to the pride or a sacrifice to the ego to do something like that. This, this sign of humility, this awe, this reverence. There was incredible body language in the worship that day. It wasn't just this common thought, oh, you know, we just came to worship. I wonder if that like brings some new meaning to some of those songs we sing. Joy to the world. Let the earth receive her king. The king has come. You know, I wonder sometimes if we've just even asked that question, when was the last time that you were ever in awe or, or wide-eyed in wonder over anything? Just awestruck by something. For me, I, I really find in nature, there's times like the other, the other night I was walking um, uh, just past my in-law's pond and as the sun was going down, it, it, was, it was spectacular. As I stood there, I had to stop and just, just look at it. It was like, you know, the, the water crystal clear. There was a little bit of snow and so it was that crisp, crisp, but the, the sun just going down, the reflection of it. My father-in-law also has Christmas lights that light up on the trees behind Staying there and watching as, the, as the, the lights reflect off the water. This week I was walking through the bush and the snow just uh, hanging on the trees and, and watching the sun go down past the, past the uh, leafless trees. And just it, not watching it set, but just on its way down. Just taking that in, the, just the silence of it. And just having to pause for a moment in awe. But it, it is that as these men walked into this room where they saw this child, it's like this, this awestruck humility, reverence that they, that they bow on their knees before him. Simply saying, Jesus, you are the king. You are the king. You deserve this worship. You know, that was actually one of the main messages of the good news, that there is a new king in town. There's a new king in town. Luke tells us that that's actually that the message that the angels gave to the shepherds when they met them in that field. Luke 2 verse 11, it says this, for there is born to you this day, is what the angels said, in the city of David, a savior who is Christ, the Lord. The Lord. You know, that's another word we don't fully understand in our modern culture. I don't often think about what that word means, but the word Lord, uh, or, or in Greek, it's kyrios. It simply means master. It means owner. It means controller or prince or king. That, that's what it means. Emperor, sovereign, anything you can think of that has that, that connotation. That's what that word means. The kyrios. Uh, and this is, what, <laughs> this is what the message was to the shepherds. You know, Christ the Lord, Christ the master, Christ the king has been born today. 
You know, that's actually the message that Jesus shared when he began preaching on all those hillsides 30 years later. It was the, he said, it's the good news of the kingdom. There's a new king in town. As, as he walked around, it would, he would teach his disciples in the prayers. What do I pray? Pray, you know, Father, let your kingdom come and your will be done uh, on earth just as it is in heaven. In all the parables, how does he start? The kingdom of heaven is like this. Then there was the promise that the kingdom of God is actually among you. You don't have to go and look for it everywhere. He said to the disciples, it's here. It's actually on the planet right now. The king has arrived and there is a new kingdom at work right now. And to Pilate, when he stood before Pilate and Pilate says, don't you realize I have authority to crucify? And he's like, you don't understand something. He says, you've only been given that authority by God. And he says, and and he says, Pilate asked him, are you a king? And he's like, you spoke truly. I am a king, but my kingdom's not of this planet. It's not like all the other kingdoms here. (laughs) You know, I wonder if he's thinking inside, believe me, my kingdom far surpasses all this authority and power you think you have. He says, but my kingdom it's, it's not of this world, but it is, is a kingdom nonetheless. And that was the message that his disciples for three years heard, the message of the kingdom. There's a new king. Some of them got it wrong thinking this king's gonna take over, over Rome. But then they, 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 they realized that their king was crucified before the rise and they thought it was all over. And then he rose from the dead and they're like, wait a second, this guy is like none other. He, he's not just the king. I mean, his kingdom, no other kingdom does this. Every other king has, a, has a, a, an end date. You know, they, they, they all have this time when their kingdom comes to an end, but, but not him. Man, if he can rise from the dead, then, then his kingdom's everlasting. And they may have realized that that was the promise that Jesus, uh, or that story that the angel said to Mary when she said, you're pregnant, his kingdom will remain forever. It was the promises that they'd heard in the Old Testament that a savior was coming, whose kingdom would last forever. Matthew actually writes about the great commission that Jesus, when he, after he rose from the dead, he gave this, this commission to his disciples. Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. Listen to these words. Jesus came and told his disciples, what? I have been given all authority. How much? All authority. Why? Because he's the king. Not just all authority, uh, you know, in heaven. He's the heavenly king of a heavenly kingdom. What's he say? I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Guys, I am the king over it all. And just think with them what they would have understood king to mean. He's all powerful. He's all authority. What he says goes. You do what he says or else. There's no questioning. He is the king. And here's what he said. So since I have all authority, here's my words to you. Verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what what does he say? Verse 20, teach the new disciples to what? Obey. Obey all the commands that I have given you. Why? Because I'm the king. And what I command, obedience is required. He says, be sure of this. I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, we see that Peter, when he's preaching in Acts 2, Peter, who is, who is there, he heard this commission from Jesus that Matthew writes down. We see him living that out not too long after in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, as he's preaching, he says, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be what? The Lord, the Kyrios, the master, the king and Messiah, which is translated the savior. He's Lord and Savior. You know, everyone in Jerusalem, uh, when we saw it in, early on in Matthew, everyone in Jerusalem was greatly disturbed like Herod when they heard, oh, there's a new king. Well, Peter is now saying, listen, everyone in Israel, you better realize that he's not, that he's not just the Savior. He's the Lord. He's the king. There's a new king in town. 
We looked at this verse last week. I just want to refresh your memory of it. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5. You know, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he wrote this. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that what? Jesus Christ is Lord. He's king. He is the master. He's everything. And we ourselves, we're servants for your sake. Understanding that a king has servants, it was not difficult for him to say, hey, we're his servants, but we're his servants for your sake. Do you know that when they went around preaching that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is king, there is a new king in town, that message wasn't always well received. In fact, we read all through Acts that, that it's that message that got them in all kinds of hot water. It's the reason why Peter and Paul ended up in Roman prisons. And it's the reason why both of them were killed. One crucified, one beheaded. What, what was it? It was for, the, for, this, for this message that they came and said, there's a new king in town. See, because to, to, to say that there was another king other than Caesar, that was a death sentence. There was only one king, Remember? There's only one king. And for Caesar to hear, wait, there's another king? That means one of these kings has to die. And Caesar's like, well, it ain't going to be me. You know, Rome had so many gods and they, they adopted all these gods. They didn't care if you wanted to worship. You know, you could go around and say, hey, you know, we, <laughs> there was this, uh, this sheep that, you know, rose, uh, rose from the dead and ate spaghetti and we worship it. They'd be like, you do whatever you want. And these guys are like, oh, well, we have a man who rose from the dead. And so they're like, fine, you worship him. That's fine. A except there was a problem. This man who rose from the dead, they said, he's the Lord overall. He's Lord over, he has all authority. Caesar, you have this authority. He has all authority. He's the king. He's the one king. And it was the fact that they preached Jesus as Lord and that Jesus was king, the only king. That's what caused them to be arrested. And not just from the Romans. I mean, early on, it happened even with their own countrymen. In Acts 4, you can read the story of Peter and John being thrown into prison for preaching. It says, in the name or in the authority of Jesus. Like when they preach in someone's name, it's in their authority. And they said, hey, this is, we're, we're preaching in his authority. And when there are questions about it, Peter actually says this, this statement in Acts 4.12. He says, there is salvation in no one else. You know, why do we preach about Jesus? Why do we preach in his name? He says, there's salvation in no one else. There's given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And those guys listening to that, they would have been, you know, this was the Jewish Sanhedrin, but they would have recognized that quote. That quote was made by Julius Caesar all the time. That was his quote. He said, there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved except for Julius Caesar. It is in the name of Julius Caesar that men are saved. He, they, they deified these people. And Peter uses his own name and says, no, no, actually it's, it's Jesus Christ. And I'm like, don't, don't let that get out. You know, that's going to be, that's going to be bad. But even for the religious leaders, they didn't want, they didn't even want their own countrymen hearing about Jesus. But you know what it says? These religious leaders, when they tried to stop them, they were just amazed at their boldness. <laughs> they're like, these guys are untrained fishermen. How are they so bold in what they're saying? And I'll tell you why they're so bold. is because they understood lordship. They were being obedient to their master. It didn't matter what anybody else said. You know, they thought, what are we going to do with these guys? Well, Luke writes it down for us in Acts chapter 4. Here's, here's how the conversation goes. They were like, well, we, don't, we can't deny the fact that, that these guys have, have this authority. They, they saw a man healed. So they're like, well, we, we, can't, we can't deny that. So what do we do? Verse 17, but to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further or their message any further, they said, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. 
No more talking about his authority. We got to stop them from doing that because everything's going to go wrong for us. There'll be uprisings. There'll be, Rome will come and crush us if, if, if there's any other authority other than the Caesar. And so verse 18 says, so they called the apostles back in and they commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Verse 19, but Peter and John replied this. Do you think God wants us to what? Obey. Do you think he wants us to obey you or him? We can't stop telling everyone what we've seen or heard. Why? Because we've been commissioned by the king, the one who has all authority. We've been commissioned by him to go and tell the good news of the kingdom. We aren't stopping because you say so. You, we answer to a higher authority than you. And, and, and the truth is you actually answer to that higher authority as well. And so they, what they understood is that Jesus wasn't just savior. He was Lord. He was their Lord. And they're like, basically asking like, hey, who do you think is king? You? That you can just tell us this? You can't shut us up. We answer to a higher authority. They understood that obedience was the response to lordship. They understood that obedience was a response to lordship. They understood that they were, that they were slaves to whom they obeyed. Paul would write that in, in Romans 6, that whatever you choose to obey, you become that person's, or even that substance or whatever it is, you become a slave to it, whether it's to sin or whether it's to, to righteousness. This, uh, actually, today we read um, uh, the, the, the letter from Jude in our read through the New Testament. And Jude, who's the brother of Jesus, he introduces himself in the letter. He says, I am Jude, you know, the slave of Jesus. Jesus Christ and the brother of James, who's also the brother of Jesus. He like, you wonder, dude, why don't you just say I'm the brother of Jesus? Because he recognizes lordship. He's like, this is not just my brother. This is not my homie, my little, you know, my buddy. He's my master, my Lord. He's the king. So I, in turn, out of obedience to him, I become his slave. They understood that Jesus was savior and Lord. So you like think, well, that's a lot of great, you know, history and whatever else. What does that matter for us today? And here's where I I think it matters more than anything. I think, you know, this is what we've lost, potentially lost in North America in our understanding of the gospel. I know for me, it has been. I know that's what he's stirring up in me right now because of all the stuff that's going on around his lordship is coming to the surface. Who is my Lord really? You see, I think in North America, we've tried to make the lordship part of the gospel more palpable for the masses because nobody, nobody wants to have a king. We resist that type of, that type of, um, uh, of uh, oversight over our lives. We, we want to be our own king. And so what we've done, you know, with the gospel is we've, we've watered it down to sell maybe like an, an easier Christianity where it's about just Jesus being the savior. Just if you can just accept Christ as your savior, you know, this, that's what it's all about. It's all about um, Jesus as your, as your savior. But what happens if we just have Jesus as our savior, but never preach as our Lord? It develops these, uh, a weak, self-seeking, empty, irrelevant gospel. Of which I feel maybe partially in my own life, I've been a product of. And that's why when I come into these kind of things, it hits my heart. Where's, where's my, who's, who's my Lord Really? Because the truth is, if you water down the truth enough, if you hide the light enough, if you go along with the world enough, pretty soon the result is that there's actually nothing left that the world needs or wants. You water down the truth enough, you go along with them enough, pretty soon there's no difference and there's nothing that they, that they want or need. I think about it this way. It's like a lighthouse. 
You know, when you look at a lighthouse and it's a calm night and you see the bright light shine across your boat, it's like, man, it's like a, it's like it's a, it's a sore on the eyes. You're like, what, what's the need for that? But if you're out in a storm and you don't know which way to look and you see that beacon of safety, that beacon of hope beckoning you to safety, you're super grateful for it. And so if you think about that, that illustration, if the lighthouse has no light, what is it? It just becomes an eyesore on the end of the pier, on, on the horizon. There's no need for it at all. Last week, we talked about that. If the church isn't the light that shines, then there is no need for it at all. A lighthouse with no light becomes irrelevant. You know, I think about that in our day and age right now, because when the lords of our land... When, the, when the, the magistrates or the, the people in charge, when they pass bills, especially this week, passing bills that are going to hinder what you can and what you cannot say. Evidently down the road, that's going to create some serious problems. And I think about that. I think of those early church disciples where they were there and they stood before those rulers and they said, you may not speak in the name of Jesus anymore. And they said, you know what? I'm sorry, but we answer to a higher authority. We follow the way, the truth, the life, and we will speak what he tells us to speak. And it doesn't matter what you say because you need to answer to that authority as well. Today, I would say to this, to the church, <laughs> that it will not stop with this bill. That is what is coming more and more, that there will be more and more restrictions on what you can say until, until there's, there's nothing left to offer the world as far as the truth, the fact that God can change a life. Do I believe in being able to change your identity? 100%. Because if I look back at my life, I had, my identity was in who I was as a sinner, as lost but then when Christ came and called me to himself, he changed my identity to go from sinner to saint. Not for what I've done, not because of my behavior, but because of what he's done. And the fact that God can change a broken man in that one area of life, believe me, he can change and still wants to change others in, in any area of life, regardless of what some bill says. See, it's, say this, you know, they understood the uh, uh, the, the authority of lordship. But I wonder if we do. And we better understand it because otherwise things are going to get very convoluted over the next little while. This isn't a time for timidity, you know, because I can promise you it won't stop. It's a time for courage. But there's good news. You might hear all that and think, ah, you know what? I, I'm not sure of that. But there's good news. There's good news. You know, there, maybe I can just say this. There will, there will always be those two types of people the two types of people who respond in two different ways to the new king in town. To the new king in town, they will. You know, there'll be those who resist the lordship of Jesus and there'll be those who embrace it. There'll be those like Herod who like, I will do anything I can to hold on to my throne, my sphere of authority. And there'll be others who gratefully say, God, I recognize you as Lord over all and come gratefully to worship you. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, I love this Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. He writes to them, he says this, but thank God he has made us. <laughs> this is such a strange thing if you don't understand lordship. He's like, he has made us his captives. Praise God, he made me a prisoner. We, we would never say that unless we understood what the lordship meant. That I would, I would rather be his prisoner, gratefully be his prisoner, stand righteous before him 
than to ever bow my knee to any other king or any other tyranny. He says this, he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere. That's why we're here to spread the good news like a sweet perfume. That's what he's called us to do. Verse 15, he says this, our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. Do you see that? He says, our lives are this, we're living out this, as his captives, we're living out just this glorious perfume that, that, to, to, to him. And we live in this world and we, that, that's, the, that's the way our lives are lived, but they're perceived differently. It's not that the message or the way you live has changed at all. It's perceived differently. And here's the two things. It says this, verse 16, to those who are perishing, we're a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we're a life-giving perfume. Didn't even know that rhyme till I read it just now. Man, we should make a song out of that. To those who are perishing, we're a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we're a life-giving perfume. Same message. The Lordship of Jesus, the message, the good news of the kingdom, it's the same, but it is going to be received in two very different ways. And that doesn't mean that the message needs to change. Just because people resist the Lordship of Jesus Christ does not make it hate speech and it does not make it bad news. <laughs> it's, it's still good news either way. But if we fail to share the good news of the kingdom, the lost will never see the light. The lost will never find what it means to know Jesus, the light of the world. They'll never know what it means to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. If we, if we fail to, to, to realize that lordship is what matters as much as savior, the disciples would later pray, you know, in Acts chapter four, if we go back there, the disciples, after they had been kicked out and said, you, you can't speak in his name and his authority anymore. And they're like, listen, we're going to obey his authority over yours. Here's what they do. They gather and they begin to pray. And what do they pray? They pray for courage, which is amazing. They don't pray, God, get us out of here. Like, God, give us courage. We got to keep, we got to keep proclaiming this message. But it says this in the middle of their prayer. They quote uh, something from David. It says this, Acts 4.25 says, You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying this. And they quote one of the Psalms. Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? Verse 26, the kings of the earth, they prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. You know, we just see David even early on saying that resistance against his lordship is futile. Resistance against his lordship is futile. And as they're praying about that, they see it in their own time. They're like, we realize that Herod tried to kill him when he was a baby and was unsuccessful. And now his son, Herod and Pilate and the Gentiles and the leaders of Israel, they all tried to kill him and crucify him. And they were successful at that, but they didn't destroy him. He rose from the dead. And you know, Paul later writes, had they known that he would have risen from the dead, they never would have crucified him. They, they didn't realize what, what was happening. But, but we see that there's always going to be, there's always going to be this resistance in the rulers of the, of the nations. We, we know this because we see in Revelation and for those who are studying Revelation, you're gonna, you, you'll, you'll see this in Revelation 19, that the kings of the earth will never stop attempting to destroy the king. As long as we have the chance on this planet, that will always be going. They will be against, they, they will be against the king of kings. Here's Revelation 19, verse 1 to 4. And it's a little lengthy, but just listen. Listen to these words. Here's what John says. Is, he writes about what he saw. He writes about what he saw. He says this, after this, I heard... What sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting, praise the Lord. Hallelujah is that word. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. 
Verse two, his judgments, they're true. They're just. He's punished the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. He has avenged the murder of his servants. Verse three, and again, their voices rang out. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. The smoke from that city ascends forever and ever. Verse four, then the 24 elders and the four living beings fell down and worshiped God. Those are those same two words as we see with the Magi. Fell down face to the ground before God. These are the 24 elders, the ones who, the only other ones who get to have thrones in heaven are the ones leaving those thrones saying, even whatever, whatever kingdom we have, we ascribe all honor, all glory to him. And they cried out, amen, praise the Lord. I don't know if you can picture that, but that's what's happening in eternity right now. That's what's happening in heaven right now is, is these elders. And throughout Revelation, you'll read this over and over and over that them and the beasts and everything else, it just, they, they fall down and they bow before the king of all kings. Verse 11, here's what John says. He says, then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. And, and this is not necessarily written in, um, in chronological time. It's just saying this is what he saw next. So this is what John sees next. He says, I see heaven open. I see a white horse standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. For he judges fairly and he wages a righteous war. His eyes, they're like flames of fire. And on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. And he wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the word of God. They know based on John's other letters that he's speaking of Jesus. Verse 14, it says, the armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. Verse 15, from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings, Lord over all lords. This is our Jesus. This is the Jesus, the baby in the manger from Christmas. He is king over all kings including today. He is Lord over all lords. Verse 17, then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky. Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, of generals, of strong warriors, of horses and their riders and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. Remember those two things. It's not just kings and generals, it's all humanity. And then he says this, then I saw the beasts and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured and with him, the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who, ex who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshiped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse and the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead body. You're like, this is some, uh, some heavy, heavy reading. But John makes no mistake about portraying and writing down what he sees. That Jesus, our Jesus, is truly the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. That it doesn't matter that the rulers of the world would try and stand against him. They will lose, ultimately, completely lose. And Revelation 19 may sound scary, but it's only scary if you're in the wrong kingdom. It's only scary if you're in the wrong kingdom. And what is a kingdom all about? The kingdom is, is made up of the subjects who worship a king. 
So we better understand lordship really clearly in this day and age because it matters. Whose kingdom are we in? Because if we've just thought of Jesus as savior, but not realizing that he is Lord and master and demands our obedience in every area, we misunderstand the fact that he's the king. He's the king. You know, the kings of the world, the leaders of our world today, they will come to that end if they don't repent. Our goal isn't to go out there and, you know, sh- you know, shame and guilt. We need to pray, just like Paul said, pray for those in authority. We need to respect those positions. They're God-placed positions. But that doesn't mean that the people in them are God-fearing or that aren't going to come to this end. You know, Matthew chapter 2, verse 19, it simply says this, when Herod died. Remember Matthew 2 at the beginning there, talking about how the, they came to worship this king? Well, Herod was all perturbed and whatever else. Verse 19 is like, hey, when Herod died, and that's the end of that. Why? Because every one of them has an expiration date. (laughs) Their kingdom is not everlasting like his is. As we close today, the truth is we have an expiration date as well. Everyone has to answer that question as well. What is our response to the new king in town? What is our response to the new king in town? Will we worship him? Humble, obedient, reverent service to him? Like the wise men chose? Or will it be that resistance to this king? I'll, I'll, my, my obedience is based on convenience. If it's convenient, I'll obey. But if it gets a little tough, I, I, I can't stand for that. If, if they say, don't do this, then, then I won't do that. Can I just tell you something? That reveals lordship in your life. It reveals lordship in my life. And, that's, and because, because it's not all about this life is why this becomes epically important. And maybe you're hearing like, you know what? I felt a whole lot better before this message started. (laughs) I think sometimes we, and I'd be the same way. We find ourselves like Herod. We're like, you know what? Everything was fine until you came along. Everything was fine until the word of God entered. A lot of times that's how we live our lives as if we're fine. But then the word of God enters, comes into our hearts and begins to stir and reveal and shine in there as to what's really going on. Can I just say this? We will certainly give an account of our lives before the creator of the world someday. We will. We, 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 we understand that in the natural. You take a loan from the bank, you will one day give an account for that. <laughs> like, did you pay it or do you lose your house or whatever it is because you didn't pay it? Our lives, I, I, Rush Limbaugh would say, it, our, my life is talent on loan from God. If you don't like him, who cares? The words are, are so true. Our lives are talent on loan from God. They're life on loan from him. And we will give an account for that life someday. We'll stand before the righteous judge of the whole world who will judge right. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're like, man, we do not measure up to his standard. And maybe you're like, you know, I remember as a kid, my parents were like, you're not allowed to play with guns. And they'd be like, okay. And then we go to my, you know, my buddy's place down the road and they had guns and bows and arrows and they were like the coolest. And so we'd play with guns and, and then we'd go home and, and my parents were like, did you play with guns? And we're like, well, yeah, but their parents said it was okay. And they're like, you don't answer to their parents. You answer to us. And I think that's something that we need to realize. We won't answer to the rulers of this world. Ultimately, we will answer to our heavenly father. So it matters. It matters that we understand his lordship right now. The two um, are inseparable. Because like I said, if we're honest, we know we don't measure up to his standard. And that's not good news. But the good news is the message of Christmas. That a savior has come to the planet. (laughs) 
that a Savior has come for us. And who is it? It's Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. The two are inseparable. He is Savior and Lord. You know, most of us, and I leave with this thought, most of us in North America, we're okay with, you know, like Ricky Bobby said, we're okay with the baby Jesus in the manger. He's, he's my favorite. You know, we're okay with like, well, Jesus being the savior. Yeah, he died on a cross for my sins. I'm okay with that. But let me just tell you this. Jesus was the baby Jesus in the savior once, but he's King Jesus forever. And he was the crucified Jesus once, but he's the Lord Jesus forever, forever. So the question is this, is he your Lord? Not just savior, not just I said a prayer. Is he your master? Are you obedient to his words? Am I obedient to, to his words? With, with whatever is said around us, is he, is he your Lord? Is he your king? Now think about those Christmas carols. Let every heart prepare him room. Let earth receive her king. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Christ, my Lord. Father, I just thank you for this word today, as difficult as it is. I'm so grateful that you shone a light on this in my life. That you are Savior and Lord. That you are King of all. Regardless of whether we believe that or think that or, or want that, it is, remains true no matter what. Thank you for revealing your truth, Holy Spirit. And I just pray you would do in each of the hearts of those listening what you desire to do in them. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal in us areas of our life that need to, to come under the lordship of Jesus, whatever they may be. God, in this day and age, may it be said of us that you were our Savior and our Lord and that as a result, the world could truly see your light shining through our lives. God, I pray this with all the sincerity that I know. And I ask God that you continue to stir this up in my heart. And I pray for those who've listened today that you'd stir it up in theirs as well. In the days we live, may we recognize that your kingdom has come on this planet. That we would continue to pray for your will to be done in our lives that others may simply see the good news of the kingdom for them. Jesus, thank you for saving us. Thank you for the eternity we have with you. Thank you that we are part of your army. Thank you that you've brought us to the winning side. Grateful for that today. Grateful. Just humbly honor you today. It is your amazing name that I pray. Amen. Well, today I'd love for you to take a chance to wrestle with some questions. Maybe you're just going to take some time to ponder it on your own first. Or if you're in a group, if you're watching in a house church or with a group of people, we know some people, they watch with other people from different provinces at the same time. So which in order to do that, maybe get on the phone together and just chat about this. Here's the questions. Number one, as always, what jumped out at you from today's talk? What was it you heard? And like, man, I got to think about that a little bit more. And then second, what did you learn today that you didn't know before? Was there anything you're like, ah, I did not know that. Because that's something to, to store away.
to, to recognize that that's been revealed for a reason. And then third, do you think most Christians today see Jesus as king or Lord of their life? Most Christians, do you think they live with that kind of obedience that whatever he says goes? And then finally, what's your response to Jesus as Savior? Have you accepted him as, as Savior, knowing you need him as a Savior? And then that second part of that question, have you accepted him or have you responded to him as Lord? I'd encourage you to wrestle with those things on the inside. Talk about them with one another. Pray with one another. Oh man, there's something about the body that's been designed to be together, to walk together, to grow together. That is how we will spend eternity together serving him. And man, what a great time to get started with that. To the kingdom that lasts forever for the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Today, uh, just know that he loves you. And so do we. And can't wait to uh, chat with you again next time. Be blessed.